welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Um, we, had, uh, we had three of our people go to prison this year with 12 to 20 year sentences, sexual sober people. And uh, what it's helped me to see is I need a program that's as bulletproof as possible. Because I'd just as soon not get sent up. Uh, I could be. And there are no statute of limitations. Uh, but uh, I'd have a defense now that I didn't have then, which is uh, I'd have a record of uh, doing a different kind of life. Now, spectacular as those prison sentences are, they are not the real issue. The real issue is our separation from God. That's the real issue. So that we are either lost in ourselves, lost inside ourselves, as the program says, or we're making ourselves available to God with every fiber of our being. And the answer is we want to move towards one way, because everybody here was just totally lost, and we're now in a movement towards the other end of that spectrum, which is being totally found. So much so that if uh, through circumstances of some kind we cannot understand, God finds it necessary or chooses to withdraw our blessings from us. Other than the blessing of sobriety, could that never be withdrawn? That's our, our choice. But if God chooses to withdraw other kinds of blessings from us, we would be able to understand that we're walking in the light and that the uh, difficulties that we're having have nothing to do with our contact with God. Because it's very easy to get into the false assumption that if I'm walking with God, I'm showered with blessings. And if I'm not being showered with blessings, I'm not walking with God. That is totally false. There's a lot of correspondence, there's a lot of truth in it, but it is not totally true. And that is then uh, in the morning meditation that I read this morning for me, the one of the points that it posed. So, <clears throat> what we're here for then is together. Because we is the word most frequently used in the AA Big Book. I has used a lot of, perhaps, of necessity in Bill's story in that chapter. But throughout the book, it's a we. You and me. You, Craig and I. Bob and I. Sarah and I. That's what it's about. To, alone, I can't do anything. Together with you, I can do everything. 
that I need to do. Okay? And the first foundation of that we is with the newcomer. And it's been a long time for me since I've been a newcomer. It's, there's a thing in one of the spiritual programs that I have looked at and is a great help to me that says we should be able to do something the first time uh, or rather something to do we should be able to do something the thousandth time with the same zest and thrill we did it the first time and that's hard to do because it's hard to remember the excitement uh, like the first falling in love at 15 uh, we kind of got it but so what I want to do is I want some newcomers to help me so I'd like some of you to, who are newcomers or uh, slipping, where you see slipping's a problem, I'd like you to come up because you're, cl uh, I was going to, uh, we're going to Thanksgiving meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous in the early days and I'm not a, didn't have the good fortune to be an alcoholic, although in those early days I wanted to be an alcoholic. <laughs> so, I, so I could get the wonderful answer the AAs had. But I was going over there with this old sponsor of mine, this old plumber, Vince. And he said, and I, my books were just coming out, and I was, you know, in the process of being famous and intoxicated with that. And I was thinking of what I was going to say when they called on me to talk. And because uh, the conferences are open, AA conferences are open, so non-alcoholics can go to them. Most people don't know that, but uh, they are. And so Vince was saying, boy, Jess, he said, I was, he and I were sitting up the front seat, and our wives, I, Iris and Jackie, were in the back seat. He said, boy, Vince, or Jess, he said, I'm so interested in go, getting the conference and hearing from the newcomers. I just kind of listened to him. Yeah, he said, they're so close to the problem. And the newcomers, uh, that's why the newcomers are the core of our program. It is not people like myself who have a lot of sobriety. I mean, we're important. But you can get where we are if you have, if you're a newcomer with the right attitude. So where I am is, is, is really since a kind of an inevitable process if you pursue the stuff that it took to get you over the hump as a newcomer. You just keep walking along that path and, uh, you know, 16 and a half years and you're where I am. So that's why we say that I mean, why we say it. That's why the newcomer is critical, is the most important person here. Uh, when we have our first step meetings, we routinely go through an abbreviated first step story for everybody there because it's Bozeman's a small town and we have small meetings. And uh, so we keep hearing our first steps over and over again and we watch them change as people come along in sobriety. But that identification that the newcomer then gets from that meeting lets him decide or her decide, do they want this simple but very complicated, simple but very difficult, simple but not easy program. So I'd like to ask uh, some newcomers to come and grab a chair here and we'll have a newcomers meeting. What I say first to the newcomer and then if I don't get the if I don't get the job done well enough, well I won't. Then your job is to ask me the question, say, Okay, Jeff, what about this or what about that? How do I handle this or how do I handle that? And what that what you will do for me then is 
bring me back to those times for me when I was wrestling with those same things. So the first thing that I say to a person when I'm 12-step and somebody on the telephone, somebody calls me and they're brand new and they suggest what should they do. Uh, we're, I think, a little different than AA. We don't know. We, we, and this is not comparative philosophy we're studying here. But uh, to me, uh, I've heard a lot, of, a lot of AA guys say, fortunately, they didn't bring the God bit up until I was more ready for it. But to me, I, I, I've never seen anybody any way to approach this program but to say, hey, you cannot stop lusting but by the help of God. And the analogy that I use is that my house has got a glass panel in its front door. And the naked lady keeps coming to the door. And there's no handle, thank you, there's no handle on her side the door. So the only way she can get in is if I go and open the door to lust. And I always open the door. I've never had a, I never before recovery had a naked lady come to the door and me not go and open the door for her. Never, ever, in 57 years. <laughs> so I have a perfect, unblemished, sexaholic record. <laughs> When I was baptized at 12, I came up out of the baptismal and the Dorothy Black, my dear high school or grade school friend, came up behind me. She was 12 years old and she was very well developed and she was in a white dress. And I looked at her breasts, you know, I just come out of the altar being baptized. Okay. Uh, I am unfailing in my devotion to lust. And it is has overwhelming power. I have, I'm swept away... Uh, it makes this Hurricane Floyd or Caroline or what the hell that last one was named look puny in comparison. Just washed away. Uh, and then, when I was 57 years old, my wife handed me a folder, uh, an essay folder, and it, she said, you, Jess, you get in Sexaholics Anonymous or you get out. And so I called the guy on the folder. Now, I'd been in other 12-step programs for 17 years at that time. I'd been in 12-step program 33 years. I knew there was something wrong, but I didn't know what the problem was. I just didn't know. And then I heard Kent's voice on the phone saying, Jess, it's lust. It's what's in your head that's killing you. And then I knew, oh, my God. What I thought was my friend and my comforter was really my enemy. It was really my enemy. But then, because uh, I'd studied, uh, you know, all AA from the core roots, uh, my wife and I practically wore out a set of Chuck Chamberlain tapes, listened to him of his seminar that he did in uh, that's a basis for a new pair of glasses. We had that. I don't read the. I don't like to read the book because I've the words are just in, in branded in my mind. So we knew AA up one side and down the other. We'd helped start another 12-step organization, my wife and I. We were uh, 12 of the original trusted servants that helped start that other organization. So we were as deep in this program as you can get. We had both of us. Her and I had uh, long-term AA sponsors. And so the minute he said it, I knew a bunch of things. I knew that I was free forever if I wanted to, because I had heard another sexaholic. 
because here Bill and Bob were both praying mightily. Uh, they prayed in that Oxford recovery group for Bob, Dr. Bob for two years before Bill met him, that, that he would be sober. And it didn't work. And I had said uh, Baptist prayers that I wouldn't act out. I had said Catholic prayers I wouldn't act out. I had said charismatic Catholic prayers I wouldn't act out. I had said Neurotics Anonymous prayers I wouldn't act out. <laughs> Emotions Anonymous prayers that I wouldn't act out. And Al-Anon prayers that I wouldn't act out. And they never worked. But the minute I heard Kent's voice, because of my knowledge of the 12 steps, and because I'd had 57 years to practice the destruction, I mean, you guys, most everybody here just rookies. I mean, like somebody will call me and, I, and they want to get sober. I say, how old are you? I said, 35 years. I said, hell, man, you've got 22 years of good lusting left. Why waste? <laughs> Why come in? <laughs> Fortunately, we don't have a quality control program in SA that kicks people like me out. <laughs> they let me do anything uh, that I'm moved to do. So, but the minute I saw Ken's, heard Ken's voice, I knew I never needed to lust again one moment at a time because I knew when Bill met Bob, it was like each of them was a magnifying glass through which they could finally see God. They couldn't see God before, hard as they'd tried. But the minute they were faced with each other, each other was a magnifying glass to God and I realized all of a sudden, my God, I've got on this telephone a guy who's a magnifying class to God, and I, and I now see God. I saw it just with startling clarity. I said, I don't ever need to lust again, one moment at a time, with God's grace. I didn't say I don't need to lust again the rest of my life, but I said I knew I didn't need to lust again one moment at a time with God's grace, and I knew if I kept that up, I would end up not lusting the rest of my life. So that was the critical experience for me. And because of that combination of circumstances, it all fell together in such a, a good way for me. You know, it aggravates people. Because uh, uh, many of us old-timers uh, have our original sobriety dates. And I'll tell you about that later. Because that's a different story. But the way we kept our original sobriety dates, oddly enough, the biggest thing we did was that dynamic that was there. We all finally met fellow sexaholics. But the other thing that was there, we another dynamic was there, and that was there was no fellowship then. And we helped each other. And helping each other was the best medicine we could have possibly taken. Now, you for, folks don't have that advantage. Because if you don't help, somebody else will step up to the bat and help them. But then there wasn't anybody, you know, there was the, the responsibility wasn't dispersed as it is now. Like in your group here, wherever you are, you know, around here, if you don't do the job, there, you know there are plenty of others who will. But when you know that, hey, if you don't do the job, there's nobody there to do it, boy, that puts you in a different spot. So we had a bunch of advantages in a way. Even though we were new and didn't know where we were going and what we were trying to do, we had those wonderful advantages. Okay, so that's the basic, what I've just said to you, is the basic thing that I say on the telephone 
or in person, but usually it's on the telephone to these people that call from Bozeman or around the country, where somebody says, you know, call Jess and talk to him. And that's what I say is that, and they say, well, what about prayer? And I say, well, my first prayer always, the minute I see the naked lady at the door, is God help me. That's very fast. And I'll be saying, God help me, God help me, God help me. And I found that there's two central principles in this program from that. First is prayer always works. I say, God help me, and then I do another thing, which is I turn back to the life that I was in before I noticed the naked lady. Because I understand that lust is always an escape from the life that God is handing me. And, and typically it's, a, it's an escape from pain. So I'm like the kind of guy, when the fire alarm goes off, I say, I don't like noise. So guess what? I get my wire cutters out, and I cut the wires to the fire alarm. Wonderful tactic. Difficult. A lot of buildings burn down on me, though. <laughs> Called the wreckage of the past. <laughs> and some of us got through with our marriages intact, and others had to pay that price, that the marriage did not survive. But I have seen in SA now, with people who get enough maturity first, I have seen them build unbelievably beautiful marriages. And not a lot of them, but there are some. No, there's another way to build a marriage in SA, and that's where two stupid, immature babies lean up against each other. And that's how you make a neurotic marriage. You lean one up against the other and hope that neither, neither person moves. Okay. That's how most marriages in NSA survive or that are made in SA without adequate sobriety survive is they lean on each other enough that they can finally get enough program to stand straight and then they've, you know, got a marriage that way. But a better way to get married, and there are some of these already happening now, is two people who are able to stand on their own feet, not dependent babies, hook up with each other and have the, the interplay and give and take that a normal marriage has. And when they face pain, don't run away from it into lust as an escape. So I would pray, God help me, and turn, God help me, God help me, God help me, and turn back to life, what God was serving me in the great conveyor belt to life. The other thing that happened, and I'd look back and see if the naked lady was there periodically, not out of desire to see a naked lady, but just to check if she's there. I don't want to take in a good long drink of her. I want to just glance over in that direction see if she's there or not. And if she's there, then I keep on praying. And that helped me learn the second principle. I can pray longer than lust will last. Lust is not as determined as I am. And a mistake that we, there's two mistakes that we tend to make in the early stages of this program. We tend to think that lust is so powerful, it will automatically overwhelm us. And lust is overwhelmingly powerful, but the one thing it cannot overwhelm is a prayer on our part that we not give in to that lust. That's the only thing that is stronger than lust. And for that reason, I have to talk about God immediately. As you understand him, it can be any kind of God you want to be. And uh, I get Muslim guys from prison writing me 
who have read my books, which approach, uh, you know, it's a different, somewhat different, not essay, but they read those books, and they say, thank you for helping me see my Muslim faith in a different and stronger way. I really like that because it says I'm able to speak in such a way that people don't get a denominationalism in, you know, what I'm saying in terms of one, even one religion or another, say nothing of a specific domination, denomination of, of a religion or ver, ver, variation of it. Because like in uh, Hinduism, there are a lot of sects of Hinduism or in Buddhism, there are a lot of sects of Buddhism. And uh, in this program, it must be God as you understand God. It must not be God as I understand God for you. That's what uh, I've got an understanding of God. And what the question I hate most and I have the most trouble with is when somebody will ask me a loaded religious question. And uh, usually I don't answer the question. Sometimes somebody will push me hard enough that they really kind of force me to and I'll do that. I will answer it because I won't say I refuse to answer the question. But uh, I think in our program, the respect that we have for the concept of God as you understand God is a fundamental thing to us. So those are the principles that I use. One time I was driving my car from, uh, we lived up a mountain canyon outside Bozeman and I look up in my head and all of a sudden here's this videotape playing of an intense sex with this gal that I had that last affair with. And I didn't put that videotape on there, but I have the, God's uh, blessed me with this beautiful, wonderful addiction of sexaholism so that I have the opportunity to recover from that. And without that, you see, I never would have met you people. And so I'm, God help me, God help me, God help me. And I see that the videotape is going to be on for a bit, so I switch into, an, uh, for me, a long prayer I use is the Our Father. doesn't matter what one you use, serenity prayer. You can, you can count backwards. I don't care what you do, but you don't give lust your full attention. But you ask for God's help and don't give lust your full attention. Uh, and then I'd looked up and it was still going. So I do some more. And so that's how I handle uh, lust. Uh, but, but what I was given a blessing of, and most people aren't given that blessing. I was given this blessing of seeing lust right to the core and knowing I didn't ever want to take in any of it ever again. So when I say to people, well, I don't entertain lust, they say, well, that's impossible. And no, the answer it isn't. Like the other day I was, uh, I watched uh, football and basketball on television on the satellite, and uh, I was going down the different stations that had the games, and then here just below one of the games is the, at the end, and then other stuff starts, and it's hot girls. Okay, I don't put my clicker down there and, open it up and see, you know, take a look and see what's going on with hot girls today. Not to check it out, not to look at curious, not to see, is that something I can handle? I don't ever want, I've got uh, a, a bunch of pictures up in my head. I don't want any more pictures. I don't want to add a single picture to that bunch of pictures in the rest of my life. Now, occasionally in the course of living, uh, lust will sometimes intrude itself on me and in those cases um, 
some pictures I put in there, but uh, again, uh, I just have to. But I I I I, I practice this thing because I don't want those pictures. I don't want to add pictures in there. But even worse, I don't want to have the attitude of, okay, lust is poison, but let's see how much poison I can get it without it killing me. <laughs> no, thank you. Skip me. I was looking for my friend from another program who, was, who went to one of them other programs with a lot of letters in it. He was asking me a hard question about how much he could get away with last night at the meeting, and I don't see him, so okay. But guys who want to see what they can get away with don't like us too well, but that's fine. That's beautiful. So uh, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of the essence of what I say when I'm on the phone. Okay, now what the guys on the phone do and the gals is they ask me questions, and then I come up with some answers. So okay, ask me some questions. The things that, because you, your life depends on this. I mean, I'm sending you. It's like I send you a machine. Like we got this recording equipment from Glenn Kay, and he wrote two pages of carefully written out instructions. Okay, if say that tape recording machine, it, well, it, it is life saving because the, the tapes I listened to from Alcoholics Anonymous over these years, hundreds of them, for thousands of hours, you know, saved my life. Okay. When you get a piece of life-saving equipment, you want to know all the you want to know the instructions. You need the manual for the software. Okay. I have a question. Yeah. Um, oh, Barry, sexaholic. What? Barry, 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 Barry sexaholic. Yeah. Okay. Um, the last few days have been kind of trippy for me. Uh, I know resentments are building. I dropped my son off at school. And before I go to work, I go right back. My car goes right back home. And I even have Net Nanny on my internet, but I still get in there and look for stuff. And it's like it's like an automatic deal. Yeah. What's going on in your life that's bad that you're trying to escape from? Well, I'm working. I'm working in a job. I think it goes back to acceptance. I know from 449, but I work for a guy who was. <laughs> he's one way one day and one way the next day and it's not consistent it's very yeah. difficult to, yeah. for me to be consistent with an inconsistent yeah. environment yeah and that scares you and frightens you and all yeah, that I stuff I don't know what's going to be one day the next yeah. and so your answer to that is is escaping into lust That's yeah. yeah chocolate ice cream cones are another escape that are mine that <laughs> I would do that too <laughs> <laughs> they're not quite as dangerous You know, I know what I've said. It, got, it cannot be clear to you. So, so ask me your questions. You've got to just, just have the guts to put them out because your life is on the line. My name is Mark. I'm a sexaholic. Yeah, Mark. Um, I've been in the program for about a year and a half, um, and I recently had 111 days of sobriety, the longest I've ever had. Before that, I was slipping regularly. Um, and just recently I started watching, I started getting up at night and, and turning on, well actually I started looking for a show on in, on the network to see if it was on at night and getting up and 
and seeing if it was on, and then yes, it was on, and eventually I acted out to it. Um, and then I was sober for about a week, and then I did it again. And I went to a meeting, and I heard a share of a guy who lost his his family, lost his whole family. I still have my family. Why? And I know, and I know all this stuff in my head. So why would I go and do those things over again? I mean, I've heard your tape. I've listened to it. Um, I drive back and forth to Chico every week, and I and I listen. You know, I listen to the tape. I understand that lust is an issue in my head. So why do I go back and do that? It's very simple. You're trying to solve the problem logically. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, a friend of mine uh, lived with a wife who was uh, bipolar, manic depression, uh, mentally ill. Okay. Um, they had a panel for families uh, who lived with mentally ill people, and they said, "Ask for show of hands." How many of you tried to use logic with your mentally ill person? Everybody raises their hand. How many of you had results from logic with your mentally ill person? <laughs> Nobody raised their hands. Okay, you don't get lo you don't get any logic with this disease. What I say to uh, to you in that situation is, hey, no problem. Get down. We don't exhort people to join us here. You get enough lust, you're sick of it. That is the only answer I have seen. Now, I can try to bring the bottom up to you some by showing you the progressiveness of your nature. That's what Bill told uh, uh, Bob and then told others to do in the early days. If they wanted to talk about the progressiveness of this disease and show people that they didn't have to go down as far as they went down. But all you, just to me, that, and that is the only answer. And so the basic question I always ask is, well, like one of them is, how old are you? 40, 41. Okay, so I was 57. You've got uh, 16 good years of lusting life. Use them. <laughs> <laughs> Don't throw them away for <laughs> I'd rather not. Huh? You know, that's, that's the, again the kind of answer I most commonly get. I'd rather not. I don't want to. I don't want to go as far as you went down. <laughs> I don't want to go down for as long as you went down. And that's right. That's why I'm here because you don't have to. But the, the what you have to understand is this is a God job and it's an inside job. And uh, you aren't right enough with the God of your understanding. And as you get that more right, and how do you get it? You get through all of the stuff we'll be talking about. You know, the next three tapes will be focused on that, answering that question. <laughs> but essentially, it is a development of a better career program. Okay, have you got a sponsor? Yes. How long have you had a sponsor? Uh, since I came into the program. Okay, how well do you use your sponsor? You I call, call him at least twice a week. And you call him every, well, call him every day. Okay. Okay. I'll call him every day. Okay. <laughs> I'll call my sponsor every day. Do that. <laughs> How many of your other me members do you call each day? Uh, I too call two other people every day. Every day. Yeah. Two. Okay. Call four other people every day. 
Okay. okay. I'll do that. You see the, the way that I'm moving here? Okay. Like that guy that asked me that question there at the meeting last night. Of can I get away just with some masturbation? I said you can't get no because you can't masturbate without fantasizing. And the minute I said it, I realized no, you can masturbate without fantasizing in some cases. Uh, so I tried to help him as well as I could, but I realized I told him I said I don't want to be around a guy like you. <laughs> no, because. Uh, uh, my program is 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 fragile enough. I don't want to. I don't want to take chances with it. It isn't that I'm not willing to work with a newcomer. I, I that's the lifeblood of my program, and I need to work with him. But if he wants to hammer away at me, I got, I'm just going to say, "Hey, man, you win. See ya." You know, um, uh, I'm not your boy. You're out of here. For me, you know, go and talk to somebody else. Go and ruin somebody else's sobriety, but don't, please don't work on ruining mine. So, uh, like Vince used to say, I left that herd that was looking for another drink and joined that herd that was looking for another day's sobriety. When he was looking for the herd that was looking for another drink, when he was with them, he was drinking some awful smelling stuff. And I, I'm sure it didn't do good things for his insides, but he didn't care about that because it was so awful that he'd go up and breathe on you, panhandling you, and you just grab money just to get him out of your face. Well, that's not a pretty man. He woke up one morning in a boxcar and his buddy had cut his throat during the night because he, he just couldn't handle it anymore. Okay. Uh, he lived on Deep Skid down in Ogden. I went down there a few years ago to see that place he really lived. You know, it's cleaned up now, but the park is still there where they came to him. These two guys came to him and 12-stepped him. And then an old AA guy showed me where the the second-story AA clubhouse was. It's a bank building now, but he said right there is where the stairway went up. He crawled up on his hands and knees at 44 because his knees were so bad from winitis that he couldn't, he couldn't stand up and go upstairs. Yeah, I don't... I don't want to live that, and that's so beautiful because it paints a physical picture of the garbage, garbage head I got when I'm doing that kind of stuff. And you know, so here's this guy who's a movie star, handsome that I talked to, and with a you know garbage head, and we got to get that stuff cleaned out of there, and we just clean it out a piece at a time. And I'm working on, on it every day. My meditation this morning was a, a critical thing of seeing, okay, what is your, how is your relationship with God going to be when I withdraw the blessings from you? Ooh. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, I'm fighting with, with uh, economic disaster for me. Because uh, I was retired and had a lot of money in investments, and then we helped my wife have a, uh, a a serenity shop for five years, and my son learned to be in business and working with her. And then we uh, another son had uh, got hit with a terrible physical affliction, and he went from college professor IQ to to dishwasher IQ overnight. And we had to try to find a business that he could do, 
and we a bunch of money went there and then another son had a terrible difficulty and had no money and a bunch of money went there and so all of a sudden uh, uh, I don't have a bunch of reserves. I'm provided beautifully for this year. Uh, I built two, <laughs> one good business, and I'm in the process of building a second one. And, and at 73 on Social Security, that works out pretty good. You have two, you have three incomes. Uh, that's nice. But um, I want to say, God, yeah, but what about two years from now? And God's saying, shut up, dummy. I'm giving you your, your daily bread. <laughs> okay, so a blessing. Uh, I'm living with that blessing withdrawn, which is, was, to me, real crucial. Uh, and, and, I, and the message I get from God is, hey, dummy, you're going to have to learn to live on your daily bread instead of being able to see 10 years daily bread out in front of you like I used to be able to see 10, 20 years daily bread. So, it's way it is, yeah. Um, related to the last thing you talked about with masturbating, yeah. um, I, I can't, I have a diet without fantasizing yeah. and stuff like that. In fact, pretty regularly. Uh, and I'm concerned for two reasons. One is that the program uh, promotes complete sobriety, right. which, had, which masturbation is not yep. a part of that. Yep. And the other is my relationship with God and walking in purity, and uh, I can't see myself as walking in purity when I do that. No. So, uh, I do have a, an inner motivation to be free from it, but at the same time, it doesn't uh, bring me a lot of guilt, it doesn't catapult me into acting out with pornography and alcohol, which is my forte, uh, and I've been free from that for over almost going on two months now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, there's a simple answer to that, though. And that is why, uh, the day, the, again, the problem with lust is the first lust drink doesn't have catastrophic problems. But like the book tells us so beautifully, and that, uh, to me, it's the least used AA principle uh, in essay that I know of. And that is the first drink of lust sets up a craving and I don't give a damn how thin that crack is I don't want to try to crack that door and that's what would be if that guy that I talked to last night were here that would be what I'd be so I'm glad you asked the question anyway, and it's troubling you too but the answer is I don't want to crack that door but then there's a bigger issue when you get some time in recovery and that's the advantage we can <coughs> offer you now you don't need to be as ignorant as we were in those early days, ignorant and confused. Because we didn't know we didn't know what was down the road for us. We had nobody who had been there to tell us. So we had to we had to just work on a basic principle. Pretty much all all of us were working essentially off the same principle of I just don't want any more lust of any kind in my life. And then what, what that's added up to then is now, why, why would I fool with lust when uh, a, a world has been opened up to me that I never knew existed? A world, uh, like my son says to me, Dad, how does it feel to have gone from the villain of our family to the hero of our family? <laughs> my wife said, uh, and we, don't, we haven't had sex for 15, over 15 years. 
because we, uh, that was one of the consequences partly of the addiction she said how does it feel to be adored I said it feels good okay and the idea that you could build an overwhelming beautiful married relationship without sex you know we couldn't have understood that back then we didn't know that in fact at about that time there was some writing in the fellowship about how the answer uh, uh, what, what, what sexual sobriety would bring you was this glorious sexual union with your wife. Well, that sounded great to us. We could relate to that all right. But the answer is, I, by and large, I just don't see that happening for our guys with long-term marriages. That they get back to that ecstatic sex because most people have so fouled it up and screwed it up through all the years that it is not recoverable anymore in that context. Not that there aren't good marriages and there isn't some good sex in marriages, but it isn't that thing that that at that time we thought would be the, boy, that's the reward we need. When we get to 45. Huh? I'm Vaughn, and I'm a sexaholic. Yes. And if my sponsor weren't here, I'd be sitting back there trying to convince myself I'm not a newcomer. You're what? If my sponsor weren't here, I'd be still be sitting back there trying to convince myself that I'm not a newcomer. But I, I am. see. I am. Um, my question is: once you see that the lust and the resentment and the other things that are running around up here are keeping you from facing the real life that God's given you and the pain what do you do with pain how do you okay your question is once you see that the lust and resentment in your life is helping you escape from the pain then what do you do though with the pain and the answer is just exactly like my fire alarm story I do not like to hear fire alarms um, I've had some unbelievable heavy loads put on my plate, but I've got to face them because the price of not facing them is so terrible compared to the price of facing them. So there. Pain is God's lesson. Pain is God's instruction. I, hey, I'm out of line. I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with the suffering that's in life. As long as you and I have this body, we will suffer. There is no way out of it. We're going to die. We're going to be sick. Loved ones are going to die. Uh, my, my four closest friends have all died. The youngest one was 55. We just died a year ago, less than a year ago. Okay, that's pain. But again, this thing brings an answer to make that pain easier. Whereas we get, when we constantly run away from it, we can't stand any pain. And that's what babies mean. What does a baby do when it's in pain? It immediately screams. Okay, that's great for babies. And great for mothers and fathers that the baby will scream like that. But it ain't great when I'm 57 years old. Not great at all. 
and and that's the that's the thing that recovery in those early days brought me is the minute I stopped lusting I felt an integrity because my insides were like my outsides because I was the big shot and the showboat and the guru and all this and all that and people came to my schools from all over the world okay but inside there was something wrong and the minute I stopped lusting I had integrity and within 30 days after I stopped lusting two of my kids were drug and alcoholism counselors and we were going through a family week in Oklahoma City and that's how I went over there we got that group going uh, those two kids after 30 days looked at me and said dad you're different and I can look around the room and I can make some guess about your sobriety from the look on your faces because uh, when you're really sober you have the essay shine <laughs> and your face just glows I'll never forget we had a, a member down in Oklahoma who was the Oklahoma he did not that job anymore so I can say that he was the Oklahoma representative to the International Council of Churches and uh, it seemed like he would go to these church conferences and then he would go down to the bar and speak of his sufferings to some woman and find some woman who had suffering and pain too and they would take away their pain together <laughs> so uh, we had a Christmas meeting there in Oklahoma City we, uh, where we, once a week we'd meet for breakfast and he came into that meeting he just got back to the International Council of Church and he walked in and his face was dark they can't see your slacks but they're slacks slip at the International Council of Churches <laughs> and didn't want to tell us about it because he thought it would be bad for us because he says he was a leading member of that little SA group that he needed to stand for something great you know so you lie <laughs> as a way of standing for something great <laughs> but his face you see told us so a guy named Rick little Rick from Phoenix was the guy that coined that expression as near as I know here because it was there weren't there weren't but a handful of us nationally in SA at that time of the SA shine and I see it in meetings all the time I watch a person come in and start getting the program and pretty soon their face is just you know they look good and uh, so it's, it is your basic integrity. God created you. Or however you see your, your creation, however you understand that. You weren't made to be the way you are and doing what you're doing. That's what I see for me. And to me, that, that is one of the core things, and we'll talk a lot more about that today because that's something I'm seeing so strongly. But I, I don't know what more I can say. You just that. sit with it, face it. Not, what? You just sit with it, face it. Well, uh, the reason I wanted you to, to be here is I wanted your faces in front of me because I'm a teacher. And, and you 
your faces pull out of me. You see what I need to say. And your faces take me, you know, back to that when I sat in those chairs. Yeah. I'm forced, I'm a sexaholic. Yeah, I wanna ask a question on that subject of integrity, Jess, but I first want to thank you. I'm sixty three days sober in the program. And uh, my wife kicked me out of the house about 70 days ago uh, when she realized and I confessed to having molested my 10-year-old board. And in that first few weeks, as I listened to your tape, your prayer about God help me now really helped me because I was astounded at the amount of lust that I had in my mind, and it really helped me. But in these 60 days also, I have found that the habits I have of betrayal in my life resurface and I will make a counseling appointment for the two of us to get together and forget about it and not be there or I will make an agreement to make some amends uh, at the house and uh, I will break that agreement and uh, throw us spiraling back into uh, the mistrust and, and the betrayal that's always been there and uh, I just ask for your support in that area because I'm doing really well with my sexual sobriety but I find my defects keep uh, setting me back. Okay, Forrest. Um, Forrest's question was, okay, he betrayed some very precious trusts, but he also sees that his own, in a sense, uh, innate desire to betray himself is continually working. And, and that's a good question, Forrest, and there is an answer to it, uh, which is helpful. And that is, uh, in the last sentence of the, I think it's the problem, we went for the connection that had the magic because it bypassed intimacy and true union. We went for the connection because it bypassed intimacy and true union. Uh, if, if you had asked us, were you looking for intimacy? Everybody, oh, oh yeah, me, me, I am. Baloney. We're all looking for the way to bypass intimacy and true union. Okay, why? Are we looking the way to bypass intimacy and true union? Simple. We are escaping from our responsibilities. The God-given power and strength that's in us is too big for us to stand and we don't like the load. And we love this babyishness about I got all these excuses. And we got a wine that is fine tuned, I'll tell you. Wine, wine, wine. <laughs> I watched a wine destroy one of the great alcoholics speakers. He had a message that just took the paint right off the walls. Our family owed so much to him and learned so much to him, but he fell into whining about his childhood. His mother just wasn't right and these other things and I watched him tailspin into just sickness and he had about 26 women and one of them finally said to him doesn't it occur to you that after all this number that the problem isn't us <laughs> and uh, he went out peddling his speeches on his victimhood and all this other stuff and finally now he's come back into the program and I won't mention the name it's not fair but he put himself under Clancy and Clancy won't let him talk 
<laughs> and he's a famous talker and he's an unbelievably creative person and you know had a spot similar to what I had more exaggerated I mean more glamorous and greater and he can't talk <laughs> and, you know in the sense of public talking he can do what he needs to do at a meeting uh, in fact uh, the preamble I just recently found out the clams he uses in the Pacific group is uh, the basic, uh, in a sense, party line on this is I had a lot of problems as, uh, uh, as a kid, but that's not why I drank. <laughs> I drank to escape. And uh, uh, they, they do a real good job by not blaming and spending a lot of time, you know, uh, cruising around in that neighborhood. Um, and what we don't understand is our parents had one job to do for us and that was to have sex and get us born and the rest of it is just a beautiful grist for our mills and our job then is to take the grist for our particular mill and each of, each of us here have a different set of grist for our mills and take and produce something holy from that because it is possible to produce the holiest thing from any circumstance and we know it's commonplace to see greatness have emerged from terrible very inauspicious beginnings Helen Keller you know born without speech or or sight. Thank God for the magnificent body that He gave her to experience the world with. You know, Mother Teresa, the example she gave. So, we want to escape the power and the wonder of us because we're babies and intimacy confronts us with that okay when my wife says how does it feel to be adored okay am I responsible for being home at meals sometime yeah that kind of goes with the territory um, do I like responsibility I didn't used to I'm doing a lot better with it now sober uh, 94 days or so. Uh, the 18th of this month was my 90 day. I've been an Alcoholics Anonymous for 13 and a half years and I'm just coming to the mother church, so to speak. Uh, by, by being in this program, it feels very much as though this is where the heart of all of my problems is. Um, and I've got a, I, I, I caught myself in a slightly different um, mode of escape not too long ago. I go to a meeting Monday night in a hospital and there's a chapel down on the ground floor that I go to after the meeting. And I was praying. I 
things are going extremely well for me and my my it's not a pink cloud 90 days it's just that things are happening God's grace I've gotten an incredibly new uh, great job offer um, I've got another little thing going on at home with some t-shirts that's making me some money and um, things are going really really well you know physically in my life spiritually too but I, I was down there praying after the meeting like I always do I go down there and I read a little bit of the white book I pray a little bit and then I, I was standing in front of the this beautiful statue down there of Mary and Jesus and, I, and looking into Mary's eyes at this particular statue it's like she's looking right at you and she reminded me of a woman that I lusted for for years back in Pennsylvania and I was looking at Mary and I was thinking about Colleen and I thought I should call her <laughs> and then, I didn't call her. I, I wrote. A, I had written a letter a couple weeks prior to her, voluminous about how wonderful things were going and how much I. You know, she's still back in Pennsylvania. I haven't seen her in two years. Um, and my sponsor said, uh, "Don't mail that letter." <laughs> you know, if you want to send her a little card, that says the weather's nice in California and I like it here, and I, you know, how's life? That's okay. But you don't need volumes of how much you adore her and you're sleeping in the shirt that she gave you and shit like that. You don't need to do that. But that was my first thought. And I, I had to click that into realizing that when things go really well for me, my answer is back to the escape route too. And I, I, I mean, I see that on one level, but I really don't completely understand that. It's simple. The only thing harder than adversity to handle is prosperity. There you go. And everybody says, you know, because I've been rich and I've been poor. Any I like rich best. <laughs> That's a Joel Lewis line. But uh, but something happened on that line recently. Uh, my wife said, Jess, she said, how much money would we have, and you know, if. Uh, if we hadn't, you know, start the shop and uh, help the kids and stuff like that, and we'd have a couple million dollars. Oh, she said, I'm, I'm glad we don't have that money. She said, you're so arrogant when you're rich. <laughs> now, the answer is you shouldn't have written that letter. Uh, let me say one more thing and I'll get to your question. Uh, another thing, and I got good news for you in this, because I always wondered, how come because we have certain fellows from that fellowship coming over to this fellowship and men and women. I always wondered how come, because uh, 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 I'm a philosopher and a, and a professor and all that kind of stuff, so I speculate on this stuff. And I'm also an experimental psychologist, so it's, it's by my training. But I thought, how come people pick the program they first pick to work on and then pick <laughs> another one? Is, what kind of accident is that? I now know the answer. It's very simple. We give up the easiest one first. Who in the hell would give up their best addiction first? Somebody that was dying. Huh? Somebody that was dying. Yeah, but give but, up the one that was killing them first. Yeah, physically maybe, but but well, again. Also. Yeah, but. Um, but for most cases that I've seen, let's put it, because we can't make flat statements, because Bill has shown us the advantage of that, and when he said rarely have we seen a person fail, somebody asked him about that, according, I think it was Chuck, 
And he, and he said, well, well, shouldn't you have said never? And he said, no, you don't ever say never to an alcoholic because then they would go out to prove that you're wrong. <laughs> I'll show you I can make this sucker fail. <laughs> but uh, what I've seen is, because uh, I've watched a lot of AAs, uh, one, we've got a guy um, uh, that I know of in, in another far-off city where he was a big uh, spiritual guru of AA from all of his years. But for some reason or other, he just couldn't stay sober and still can't. Because uh, he says it's like, uh, this addiction is like having a bottle of whiskey built into you with a straw comes up into your neck and it's in your mouth and go like that and you got a slug of whiskey and he said that is a tough one <laughs> and, and, he, and he doesn't want to give it up and that's another thing too is to find a willingness to give up this addiction along with the, the previous willingness to have given up on alcohol that's a uh, I think what, what do they call that in racing? Not a trifecta, but it's is there a double facta in racing? Exacta. Huh? Exacta. Exacta. Two races. You win two races. Okay. The, to, to, to do this, to do both of these, you got to have a, an exacta. And uh, why do they pay bigger odds on exactas than they do a single bet? Is because uh, you, you need God's grace in both cases. And so, whatever the case, uh, this honey is tough. <laughs> and um, um, I went through a particular course uh, to get myself ready. I'm going through another course now that I got start. I got a I've got a good start now in 16 years, and uh, made a beginning. And um, God knows what lies ahead, but it's interesting, fascinating to see. Okay, you had a question back there. Um, my name is uh, today is my actual um, year at Friday. Yeah. Hey. And what I did at sea, I have been all the way around the world and back in that time. My question to you is that I'm stuck at my eighth step, and. Uh, I'm hearing the stories I've heard today, and I believe that the first person I need to make amends to is me. I can't accept that good things will happen to me because I don't believe that I'm a good person. And until such time, I do let down other people because I want that disclosure to stay, and I'm still believing in that myself. And so, um, the I feel that my question to you is um, to get me started in the eighth step. I can say sorry to my parents for being such a cow and pretending that I was the most perfect thing, and had the opportunity while I was in New Zealand, um, being forced by the American government, <laughs> um, to make amends to my father. Um, and the biggest amends that came about was I was trying to start SA and SNI and going to Overeaters Anonymous and anything else that I could get myself into recovery out there. Um, they couldn't understand why I would go and sit in a room and read a book to myself week after week after week. And 
one night they just happened to voice that. And I then sort of admitted to them that for all these years that I had pretended that I was perfect and that everything on the outside that they saw was what I wanted them to see and that I um, hadn't gone through times of hardship in England or whatever. And so um, that I had chosen a sexaholic um, because it was just such a good mirror and I felt comfortable to have that person in my life. But I had made a mistake. And that was the first time that I actually said that out loud um, to anybody. And it was the first time that my father had ever asked me if I wanted a hug. I mean, it was just such an awesome moment. Um, and I felt that the amends that were made in that moment were huge. Probably a lot for me. Um, and probably he realised then that I wasn't this perfect thing that, you know, sort of kept him in a distance. So they didn't need him. And so hearing some of the testimonies today, um, that's really focused on what it is that I need to do, but I don't know how to start doing the eight steps for me. Okay. And my question is, how did you do the eight steps for you? Okay. I think um, I think it's it's fine what you're doing and thinking about. There's one thing you need to watch out for, and that is um, we have a text, the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which the White Book is rested on. The White Book was never meant to be the complete answer. Uh, it says in there, okay, this book rests on the the Blue Book, and in that. Blue Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I don't understand it as well as I should, and 10, 20 years from now I'll understand it somewhat better. But it, it, it doesn't give much thought or time to making amends to ourselves. Uh, so but the, if you and your sponsor see a need to do that and you see value to it, we must always be open to God guiding you and your sponsor as you work together. So we can't down, lay it down any hard and fast rules. But in my experience, the thing that I find is that I would suggest that you be very careful and very persistent on that eight and nine step, so that you pick up those other amends that you really need to make, because something is blocking you always. And so do the best job you can on it, and then go on to ten, eleven, and twelve knowing that you're going to come back to them. One of the great tapes that uh, we have is uh, Don the Indian, a, a guy from Colorado. And he said that the 12 steps uh, in Indian understanding, American Indian understanding, the 12 steps are not linear, but a circle. And we go over and over that circle. In fact, Don uh, Glenn, who has these tapes available, has uh, you just ask him for Don the Indian tape and he'll know what you mean and uh, and then he also has a set of four tapes by him and, uh, Don ran into this unbelievably powerful sponsor a guy named Frank <laughs> an Indian guy and in, in, in those of us in Indian country have worked with a lot of Indians and and the uh, odds of an Indian getting sober are just ferociously bad. It is 
it's just a revol- our Montana Alcoholism Treatment Center is just a revolving door for Indians coming there and going and coming and going because um, uh, reservation life is uh, a, a, is a kind of a different kind of life compared to uh, it's hard to describe I, I've got some good friends on the reservation I've got a crow name white man who has no hair <laughs> and there's a kid there's a kid running around the reservation named after me and he's, he's the friend, son of a friend of mine but what he said this what this Frank said to him he said oh you're just an Indian I don't know that I can work with you or not you know it sounds prejudiced as the devil the way he said it Frank said well I need sobriety yeah but you're an Indian and the Indians just don't succeed and Frank said in his tape he said I think that guy was just pressing on me hard enough knowing that my anger was about the only thing that I had to work with. But he made this Indian Don so mad that Indian Don said, I'm going to show that white SOB <laughs> that I can work this program. <laughs> and he did. And uh, so Frank might have saved his life in it. But there's two or three spots along there. Uh, another one was that it came to doing his uh, fourth and fifth step. Uh, Frank told him, I want you to look in every nook and cranny of your life. So he made a, a list of his fourth step, and then he made a nook and cranny list. So when he went to give his fifth step to an AA guy, the guy made it easy for him by saying, well, as uh, I'll just start, tell you a few of the things I did. And he told uh, Frank a few, or this Indian Don, a few things he had done that were evidently on Don's nook and cranny list because he said, uh, I suspect it was probably some homosexual, a lot of people have homosexual acting out when they're drunk or other stuff as one of their things they most horrible, have the most horrible difficulty, especially in AA where they aren't used like we are to come in and in a sense blabber out all kinds of, of stuff. But anyway, he said this stuff and so Don says, well, I, I saw I could give the guy my nook and cranny list because if he told on me, then I'd tell on him. <laughs> but what my point is out of this is the, is the thoroughness that we need to go at these things. Like uh, get, doing as thorough as we can, but knowing we're going to come back again and again and revisit that step over and over uh, that's why when they asked me at the meeting last night what step are you on, I had trouble thinking about it because I'm, a, you know, uh, I'm uh, in two or three different places, but I'm, uh, but as I said, I'm always on step one. And so watch out for your, watch out for your mind. If you can build a good case for your point, but you're a, you're a very smart and very bright person, but they in this program do the worst. People, those of us who have right minds, uh, do terrible. We've got simple fact to show it. Alita Lodge is a long-term treatment center out in New Jersey. And they're for the people who can't make it in AA and a regular treatment center. You go to Alita Lodge for an indeterminate sentence. You do not get out of Alita Lodge until your fellow group members say that you're well enough to be let out. It's not your counselor your fellow group members. And we, when we're in a group, you know how that goes. We can tell the phonies real well, the other phonies. (laughs) (laughs) 
And of course, they can tell us real well. And the record at Alita Lodge for length of stay, the records are held by bishops, <laughs> professors, and doctors. <laughs> so that tells you what intellect is. It tells you the terrible danger that intellect is. So uh, trust, get a good sponsor, trust that sponsor, and be thorough. Okay, but the fact that it, what you're being offered is, you know, making amends to yourself might be a little out of the way. Trust that. But then don't hang your hat on it. Okay? Does that make sense? You have 15 minutes, Jess. Huh? You have 15 minutes. Okay. I don't know anybody in SA who isn't got some or a lot of Essanon in them. And that's a retreat. It's an escape. My wife is bipolar. Um, I I have uh, different guys that I work with who have varying degrees of that problem. I just tell them to shut up and do your work. And uh, the answer is, yes, the other person is involved. Yes, the other person does make it harder. But that is... Uh, I cannot believe... Well, I, I see a ton of evidence to show me that God will allow us to, to give us the strength and the courage and the insight and the perseverance to solve this problem in the, 
face of anything a spouse can throw at us and anything life can throw at us. We are not in this program because we have the adequate amount of blessings to get through on a daily basis. We're in this program so that we can learn to live in harmony with God on whatever basis that demands. Once we do that, some things will be returned to us. But not everything will be returned to us. Like if you would have told me in the early stage, okay, your marriage will be returned to you, but not your sex life. I would have thought, it's impossible. Can't, can't have it. It's no good. It's lousy. You would have told me how it's worked out. I would have said, it's impossible. Couldn't be. But the answer is that just shows how stupid we are. We don't know what God can accomplish. And we don't know the power that the God that is each of us are in contact with can do. And so, there's all the room in the world for you to have a tremendous program. And, and again, you must not do it so you can be a beacon in your family. Uh, that happens. It's a side effect. But boy, for God's sakes, don't do that because you intend it to happen. If you do, you make it junk. I agree with you, Jess. This is yes. But uh, it's got to the point where she's very resentful of my program. Wonderful. Which is, and she's. <laughs> She's in a lot of pain, and I don't want her to be there. Well, why? Why don't you want her to be there? Yeah, it's causing me pain. Okay, but let her have her pain. Now, I don't say you can't move out, separate, or do whatever you got to do to stay alive. I'm not saying that. But when the guys want to separate, I tell them, okay, but fine, separate if you have to. But for God's sakes, tell your spouse that you. That marriage is guaranteed for five years minimum. And you're not going to fool around with some other woman looking for some other answer. You are devoted to that marriage and, and on whatever basis you have to have. You might say, i got to separate from you. I can't bear living in this house this way. And, 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 and put the blame on yourself. I'm too much of a sick Essanon uh, not to try to rescue you and save you and preserve you from these things instead of blaming the spouse for it. Now, that calls for a lot of guts. Okay, where do we get the guts? And the answer is, the only place I know of, I don't see anybody here that got the guts all by themselves to do something like that. The only place you can get it is, is from God. Now, I wish there was an easier answer for you. Yeah, I don't think there is. I, I, I've been helping her avoid her bottom. Really. Wonderful. That's nice that you're helping her like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's allowed me not to be in pain. That's right. Face your pain. Yeah. All of it, including the pain of seeing her in terrible pain. Mm-hmm. I know, I've been down that street. I know what that's like. So I'm not I'm not talking poetry here. It's ugly. Yeah. Thanks. Yep. Thanks, Tim. 
sponsor everybody else, but I didn't get a, a sponsor. Yeah, <laughs> just like the tradition talks about in the little small town, middle town America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so um, about, I don't know, five, four or five years program, my wife says, you don't have a sponsor, do <laughs> Get a sponsor. So I got a guy that I sponsored who I 12-stepped into the program, a student of mine at the School of Life, uh, six months after I came in. Because we cared for each other, and, and uh, Jackie was his wife's AA sponsor. So he was my sponsor for some time, and but uh, he was an AA guy, and he tended to use his AA sponsor mostly, and was getting his basic spiritual thing from that. So uh, about four years ago. Uh, uh, I had a client. He was calling regularly, and my wife got to know him. And Jesse said, "You got a lousy sponsor." I mean, the one that's the first one she pushed me into. She said, "You got to get a good sponsor." And she says, "So you got to call Bob, and he'll be your sponsor, and get him to see if he'll be your sponsor." Because I like Bob. So that's how I got Bob as my sponsor. <laughs> I hear from these guys. Who, who are troubled by their wives' intrusion in their programs. <laughs> I see it on the net a lot, you know. <laughs> and I want to say, hey, you guys, you turkeys. <laughs> There's, this, God made this world and it is so marvelous and so exciting and so complex and, and so multifaceted. And our stupid, finite minds have got, you know, there's no ability to grasp this stuff. So uh, that's the story there. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> now it confirms everything you suspected, right? Most of it, yeah. <laughs> 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 I never forget the time I used to sit in those Al-Anon meetings, and my wife was in the AA meetings next door. And a lot of times in in towns, there would be an Al-Anon meeting sitting in the next room to an AA meeting. And as an Al-Anon, I'd sit there and hear those AAs laughing. I said, "What the hell are those suckers laughing about? <laughs> They're the ones that caused all my damn trouble." <laughs> <laughs> so then, when I got in Sexaholics Anonymous, by then I'd wised up some. So I told Jackie, I said, ha ha, now I'm the ick and you're the anon, 
You deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> and she didn't choose to deal with it very well. She hates this program. I mean, she hates us enough. Now, she's got some, you know, some wonderful reasons for hating it, but there's some of them aren't so wonderful. Who is this, your wife? Let's turn it over now. Okay. You you end in five minutes or? Huh? You want to take a break now or? No. No. Uh, do we get both sides? It automatically flips over. Okay, it does run that. So um, we've got a few more minutes. Okay, well then we'll take we'll take that to the end. I didn't quite understand that. Okay, let's have a final comment. Yeah. I spoke with my sponsor yesterday. Uh, for the frequently, down in Visalia, he's uh, got hepatitis C in 15 years sobriety. But his health and the possibility of his failing liver, and he doesn't know if he wants to get a new one or not, it's really given him uh, the dickens. You shared with us in uh, Sacramento about a year ago at the International Conference here about your own health, and it opened my eyes to the idea of lust is more than just flesh, that you had lusted for uh, a handsome death. Um, I just, I'd just i like to ask how your health is. You look really good to me. You know, your color's good. You're, you know, your demeanor's great. You've got a nice cough on you. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> I'm a nurse, so... <laughs> but uh, how is health and sickness? Uh, it's a wonderful question. How is health affected here? And the answer is, um, I had a heart attack 37 years ago. I've had two heart surgeries, three pacemakers, two cancer surgeries, and two or three other surgeries in that period of time. I had a big aneurysm. The three aneurysms in my lower uh, aorta, the main blood thing is it goes down to your groin area and then it splits to go down into each leg area. I had a, an aneurysm the size of an orange just above that Y and then two aneurysms the size of oranges just below it. And uh, I had that taken care of and I was afraid I was going to die and it, was, it got very frightened of dying and Bob helped me there. But um, mo most of the days, 90 plus percent, waving over 90 percent of the days, I, I just am unbelievably joyful and grateful to God for the kindness and, and mercy of God and uh, just happy at what God has given me. And uh, what I see now is my health is a, not an issue. Uh, my life, God numbered my days, I didn't. I don't know how many of you idiots understand how long we're here, but there's a simple reason we're here and how long we're here. And that is we were up there listening to harp music and we got bored. And we said, God, if you got something different, I want a vacation. He says, boy, if I ever got something different, how long a vacation do you want? We named the 
time of vacation we want, come down here and forget two things. Where we came from and how long a vacation we had. <laughs> so that's how long we're here for. So what I know is the critical thing is I want to make every minute count. There's a beautiful story it happened not about a story not area not far from here down the Willamette Valley. Uh, a settler pulled up there one night and they had breakfast or supper that night and breakfast the next morning and he got up in the morning and there there's trees, just solid trees along both sides of the land and he staked out his claim. He hands a tree to, or, or rather an axe to a, his son and he gets an axe and he said, look at all these trees and he says, son we've got to make every stroke count. And that's what life is about. And I go to bed at night knowing that I've done a hell of a job that day making every stroke count. And boy, that is a good feeling. That is a good feeling. And a lot of you have that same feeling or you wouldn't be laughing so much. Okay, you guys, it's been lovely being with you. And thank you so much. You folks for putting yourself in the in the firing line, and I really deeply appreciate it. And I wish wish you the best. And I want you some years from now to be sitting up here too, and, and you be carrying on. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of the Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.